Hey guys, just a heads up, this is a not safe for work podcast, so keep it in your pants until you won't get busted. <laughs> Orgasmic Terrorist, a podcast about acceptance around becoming authentic within our sexual exploration. Orgasmic Terrorist. Thank you for joining us here on Orgasmic Tourist today. Before we dive into this episode, we want to issue a trigger warning for potentially sensitive content that may be discussed. This episode may contain discussions about topics that can be distressing and triggering, including the following domestic violence, mental and emotional abuse, sexual assault and rape, sexual acts, suicide, and child abuse. We want to prioritize your well being above all else. Please do not feel obligated to listen to this episode if you believe it may be harmful or distressing for you. Your mental and emotional health are incredibly important to us here at Orgasmic Terrorist. If you choose to continue listening, please ensure that you have a support system in place or seek professional help if needed. Thank you for your understanding and take care of yourselves always. Welcome to Orgasmic Terrorist. Sarah and Jenna is here. We have a really special guest here who teaches about BDSM and being a dom. Jenna, would you mind introducing us to our special guest? Yeah, this is Mitch Flory. He has decided to sit in with us and interview about what he does just so we can get a base of what that looks like as a dom. He comes highly recommended. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> so I'm excited to meet you because now we can talk about things and stuff. I'm my favorite things. <laughs> Mine too. Giving and receiving. Yeah, same here. Always. Never a problem for me. Never really cared to put anything in part. <laughs> See, I was going to say, you're definitely a true top. Uh, yes. Yes, okay. Oh, how, how do you identify, like, all of the board? Purely as a top, I mean, I've never really met somebody that I felt I could submit to. And I think that's probably the biggest part of the BDSM relationship is finding somebody you're doing that with. Yeah. And I've never really found somebody that brought that out of me. It's a, it's an interesting thing when you do find somebody yeah. like that, because a lot of us don't know that that's something that we want or need or desire, and then to have it happen is life-altering in the most amazing and ways. having a safe place to explore those is the most important part, because if you don't feel comfortable exploring it with your partners, or you don't feel you're in a safe spot, you're not going to try things that you are concerned about or are new a lot yeah. of time. Trust is really important it's in true. what you do. Yeah. I agree. I, of course, when we were younger, guys would go, hey, are you into spankings? And like hit your butt a couple times. Or I was never into slaps, never touch my face kind of thing. But spankings, I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And I'm like, I don't see how people get off on this. Now, I'm like, please spank me. No, that's not hard enough. <laughs> like, kind of begging it, begging true. for it. I actually always joked that the name of my book would be I Begged for the Belt. Because that's really hot. Which book of the seven? Yeah, one of the seven. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I look forward to reading it. <laughs> New Orgasmic Terrorist book. Yeah. Um, we will finish all of these yes. one day. I'll make her do it. Yes. You had a couple other identities that we were discussing earlier pre-interview. Pleasure Dom and... I've, I've always referred to myself and been referred to as a daddy Dom. I was definitely dubbed a squirmy sadist by one of my exes. What does um, that mean, a squirmy sadist? It, it was never so much about causing pain as much as it was about getting a reaction. Trying to create stimulation to get a gasp or a moan or just a a jerk reaction physically or orally from them. I I guess that would be how you would clarify it. Yeah. 
I like that. I like that a lot. And then pleasure dom for you, you've also said, and what does that mean to you? Most of my experiences as a dom has been with intimate partners, where it was usually incorporated in sex or prior to or after through a impact scene was accompanied by a solid orgasm. Ride the wave from one to the other. I know nothing of what you're speaking of. I know. I figured uh, we would start with some questions. You ready for some answers? Absolutely. All right. So first question, can you tell us about your experience as a dominant? How long have you been in this lifestyle and what led you to pursue it as a passion to carry out? All right. I have been in the, the lifestyle for, I would say, roughly 15 years as a passion. Before that, I may have dipped my toes into it a little bit here or there, but as far as I realizing it was something I wanted to pursue and applying myself towards, I would say roughly 15 years. For anybody, there's usually something they're getting out of the situation or something that it fulfills for them. Me, I've always enjoyed being able to fulfill other people's fantasies. So the role as a, a quote, pleasure dom or a daddy dom, it, it, it felt natural to me because not only was I helping to provide, but I was also fulfilling all these fantasies and needs for my partner all rolled up in one. And it was something I embraced very early on. So on to question two. That was a lovely answer. Thank you very much. What is your approach to building trust and establishing boundaries with your participants? How do you ensure a safe and consensual environment? In these kind of relationships, in any relationship, but in these kind in particular, communication is key. If you think you've talked about it enough, you probably should bring it up again. Whether it be do's or don'ts, limits, or where your partner is actually at in the moment, there's always something to talk about. It, I feel, is probably the number one thing I can stress to anybody that's interested or participating in the lifestyle is communication. Communication is key in, in any situation, but whether it be verbal or even written contracts, a, a lot of couples are going to approach this in a different way. As long as you guys have communicated about what your wants and needs are in the situation and everybody's having a good time, you're kind of doing it right. Oh, I like that. Pretty simple. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, communication is so hard for so many people. It's true. One of my favorite, one of the things I liked about being introduced, because I was not comfortable sharing my because I didn't, nobody would ask me. They would just say, hey, let's have sex. Now it's easy for me to go, hey, this is what I want. And this is what I don't want because I'm used to having these negotiations. Yeah. And I love them. I love being able to say, hey, I want you to smack my ass this hard until I'm blue. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> twist my nipples a little hard or whatever and then set my safe words and then doesn't it just make for the best experience ever when yeah. you can have communication between wants and needs desires and have that person be able to show up for you in that way mm-hmm. you don't tell them and you expect them to mind read you're gonna have a vastly different experience yeah and it's not a authentic nor trustable experience you're not showing up for yourself i, I think that's mm-hmm. true that's true so this is why I really appreciate being able to share this with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to have conversations that most people don't have access to. Yeah. So well, a lot of people aren't even comfortable having those kind of conversations. Sure. Whether it be their upbringing, social norms, the relationships they're in now. There, there's a lot of reasons some people just aren't even comfortable approaching the situation. Yeah. And once again, ha- having somebody that you can have the, that trust with or those kind of conversations is the most important part. Do you feel like it's becoming more of a mainstream thing, though, as time goes by? Like Absolutely. Iconically, you look back, people like Betty Page, there were icons that have brought it to the mainstream, the things as new as Fifty Shades of Grey, that it just <laughs> uh, let a lot more people witness what yes. 
yeah. a version yeah. of what BDSM could be. And right. you notice I use the term version because it was a very loose version of what right. would be considered. Again, if the guy was poor and in a trailer, he'd be in jail. But because he was a rich billionaire. <laughs> and that's, that right there is a very important thing that a lot of people don't understand about BDSM is there is a very thin line between some versions of BDSM and domestic abuse. Absolutely. Uh, and it may fall down to something as small as somebody else's opinion of the situation. Somebody sees Mark. Somebody hears that you did something and it's their opinion of the situation that you've reported that can cause the issue. Yeah. Even if all participants are in agreement, role play, you leave marks, that person is restrained at that point in time and there are a lot of accusations that can be thrown in those kind of situations. It is a very chef's kiss away from assault and battery and all of that stuff. So. When somebody's down, it gets a lot worse than that. You're looking at kidnapping, yeah. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's important to have conversations of consent. <laughs> well, and even then, we're in the state of Oregon. The consent laws in Oregon are, are different and they're things that we think if I give consent to actually maybe breaking the law. Yeah. Yeah, Just I because mean, I yeah. gave my consent, it's my body, my whatever. We're still breaking the law. We're talking mm-hmm. in 2023, some Midwestern states, anal is against the law. Sodomy, sodomy is yeah. against the law. So, it's, yeah, all, all things considered, we're getting worse as we go along. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. How do you handle consent? In the lifestyle, whether it be BDSM or more sexually oriented swing, there has always been a really strong consent importance. In any situation, especially a sexual one, it is the number one thing that needs to be pressed, 100%. There isn't anything more important than consent, whether it be soft limits, hard limits, whether or not you have the right to touch somebody. There is a lot of reason to talk about consent, and just because you've been given consent at one point in time, that doesn't mean it's a blanket ticket. This is something that needs to be discussed on a regular basis. Again, heavy communication. Yeah. Constant, positive reinforcement, showing up for your partners in whatever role and allowing them to show up for you in the ways that yeah. are best. I love yeah. That. Okay. Ready for the next one? Yeah. How do you handle diverse participants' needs and desires? Can you give an example of a challenging situation and how you navigated it successfully? Everybody has their own wants. Everybody has their own needs. And I think that a lot of that was what drew me to BDSM was the ability to try and fulfill other people's. You know, whether it be impact play or breath play or water sports or whatever, everybody has something that makes them tick. Everybody has something that they have an incredible urge that, that they want to explore. Mm-hmm. And finding that and exploring that with somebody is a very beautiful thing, especially if it's something that you share interest in. There's a lot of people that want to try things and they don't have somebody they can, whether it's the ability to communicate and actually verbalize what it is they want or having somebody that is into it as well. Yeah. When you find somebody that you can share those things with, it it is an incredible experience. And talking to them in person, finding out what they want in advance, that communication thing, again, is the most important thing. Communication and talking with your partner and finding out what their needs truly are, what they really want to experience out of the situation is paramount. Finding out if somebody has limits that they want you to perform in, therein lies the true power in BDSM. The submissive is the one with all of the power in the scene. Most people don't realize that. The dom is purely performing it within the parameters that they've set. Everybody has something that they want. And 
finding a way to work within their parameters. Oh yeah, that's what finding what they want and what they need out of the scene is the most important thing. And everybody's different. Yeah. There is no right or wrong. There is no cookie cutter way to do BDSM. Every relationship is different. Every paradigm between a sub and a dom, no two are the same. Every couple is going to be different. Every relationship is going to be different. And exploring that through communication and physical exploration is the only way you're going to find what you really like. Have you had a challenging situation that you have had to navigate around? Yes, I think my biggest one for me is unfaithful people. Uh, People... (laughs) Wow, yeah. Okay. Not even on my radar is something that you would say, but thank you. Coming from the social life of swinging and poly relationships, even carrying some of that stuff into being a dom, I learned a long time ago that people that weren't honest with their partners and weren't truthful about what they were doing, nothing but bring bad drama and bad energy into my life. And I've found that my number one rule of thumb is to avoid people that are being unfaithful or being unethical about the way that they're pursuing their sexual interactions. Yeah, I feel like every word not spoken is like a mouthful of blood that you carry around. And whether, yeah, I can't even imagine because I haven't had that experience Mm -hmm. that like that would be, I don't, I don't even know. I'm just upset about it. Like just the thought of it because it puts you in a bad situation. It mm-hmm. puts their partner in a bad situation, puts them in a bad situation. And it's, and it's all just have the talk. Yeah. It, just have the communication. Although there are aspects of, gosh, it's so hard when you have, you're in this thing where you don't know that this is something that you want and need or whatever. This partner that you have is not interested. And so then the responsibility is, hey, can you, and people, this is the one. You can still remain in fidelity with a partner through your services mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily a sexual thing. There's no making out. There's yeah. no penetration. There's none of that stuff. So needs can be met, but these are the conversations that people don't have. These right. are the conversations that aren't right. talked about, really. It's just have the conversation with your partner and see what they're open to. And you might have this wonderful thing, but then it's ethical. Mm-hmm. It's above board. You're not harming them. You're not harming yourself. You're not harming the dom that you're involving into this mess. So, yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. That was not even something. Yeah. I wouldn't have put it on my radar as an answer. Because to me, it's I'm in a room with people that are, that are there for a reason when I'm at a play party. But I wouldn't have thought to like, hey, is your partner on board for this? I would not have been like, I get it. Getting into it and them really feeling like they were all in and then having a moment in the middle that just shuts them down or, or whatever. But like, there's a lot of different reasons I've made this just a rule of thumb. There, there, there's a couple practices that I've kept close to my heart. One me and you have discussed in, in depth, and that is my rule of three. I, yeah. I usually don't get involved with partners that have more than three partners. Yeah. And a lot of that just fall, stemmed from my poly relationship experience in the past. People who have more partners than that, I didn't feel were really able to give enough time or share as much energy with me as I felt I craved or needed at times. Interesting. And it just it allowed me to avoid some people who I think or would dub what they call relationship anarchy. It, it, in itself is a whole nother I have a, yes, one of my partners identifies as RA and it's been an interesting journey. We'll be talking about that with an interview with her too, because it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to process. It's a lot to talk about. And I don't think it's one that people generally understand. And in the past, I've had partners who had a lot of partners and there was one and I was lucky to get a day a week. 
And it was literally that one day a week, the rest of the days of the week, they were busy with another partner. And I only ever got to see him on that one day and it was a scheduled thing and it was really hard for me to deal with. Yeah. Because I, I didn't have access to that partner any other time. Yeah. And that was... No, that would be tough for yeah. me too. I would struggle. I tried that recently and it what it didn't. It was fine because I was taking out of it what I wanted. I built out of my own needs. It, it all depends on what you needed. At the time, but then once that fell apart... And I'm like, I was missing so much that I really like in my yeah. relationships. I really, I like conversations and communication. We would do that when we were together and we were in a finite amount of time. And I didn't like that yeah. afterwards. When I started to go back and reanalyze because I'm one of those people. But I get it. I, there is a huge bridge to a gap between public play and a, an intimate relationship and what might happen behind closed doors. You're going to get what you need out of whatever situation, and as long as you're getting what you need out of right. it, and like I said, everybody's happy and everybody's doing it in a safe manner, right. you're doing it right. Yeah. Okay. What types of services do you offer, and are there any specific BDSM practices or activities that you specialize in? I would have to say impact play is probably one of my favorites. It mm-hmm. is one that I pride myself on. I, I've been told that I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who told you that? I'd hate to point fingers, but I remember hearing you say it at one point. As far as like specialties go, um, I have given a couple classes and taught demos at a few of Portland's clubs. Forced orgasms and how to make a woman squirt was what my class at Catalyst and whatnot was at. Okay, so what is what do you specialize in, do you think? I would say I'm good with my hands. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So we're coming back to communication. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we've talked about it throughout this whole thing. We're going to do it again. It can't be stressed enough. It can't. Communication is crucial in BDSM dynamics. How do you effectively communicate with your participants to understand their desires, limits, and any specific scenarios they want to explore? Which I feel like we've already covered, so I don't know how much time you need to spend here. Actually, this is when I'd like to talk about it. fantastic. Especially with a new partner. Even terminology. Making sure that people understand what it is you're talking Um, about. Yeah. Education. Yeah. Um, there, there is definitely a, a, a small amount of education that's necessary, especially somebody who's trying to come into it. A little bit of research, a little bit of reading, things like a soft limit or a hard limit. I have in the past been presented full contracts. I have been given lists of things that were acceptable and things that weren't acceptable. I have given partners checklists where they could fill it out themselves on things that they were into, things that they wanted, things that they disliked in advance. So I had it. A very easy to read checklist of do's and don'ts, yes. not to an advance. Sure. So were you looking for maybes? Because I've always used this in my personal, at my work. I'm always looking for maybes because the maybes are the ones I'm going to push them or teach them. So, that, that is that okay. definitely true. I, I found in my experience in BDSM, there, there is nothing quite as thrilling as seeing a partner realize that they're into something they never realized that they might like in the, the past. aha moment. The aha it's moment. It's fucking addictive. It is. It really yeah. is. And those maybes are those soft limits in the right situation with the right person. It might be something that they're into. And when you get into that moment and that person is, oh my. My fucking god. <laughs> I, I had this thing with my last partner. One of the things that he would he would do something, I'm like, oh that's weird. And he would stop. I go, I didn't say stop. I wanted to see where it would go. He goes, I know I gotta learn this about you. You keep doing that to me. So he would push the limit a little more. I'm like, kinda liking that. All right. So that's how he learned how to push my maybes or find my maybes because I wouldn't have known. And that holds back on that power dynamic I was talking about. Yeah. You know, the sub is one with all of the power in the situation. 
She sets those limits, those hard limits. These are things that she does not want to approach. You do not cross these lines. Where the soft limits, those are things that she may not be interested in. She may not want to try. But in the right situation, with the proper coaching and the right learning, <laughs> you, you might just get there. And those are always yeah, fun to explore. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> just might. Just might. That was an awesome answer, actually. I'm sad that I thought that we discussed it. As you continue to prove, we're talking about every yeah. single time. So thank you. Um, safety is paramount in BDSM. Can you elaborate on the safety measures you take during sessions to protect yourself and your participants from physical and emotional harm? This one, to me, is a big deal. You know, knowing your limitations, whether it be knowledge, physical capability, or experience is important. If you're not comfortable with breath play, you don't just choke somebody out. Yeah. If, if you don't know where to squeeze, you know, it, it's not about choking. It, there, there's a big difference between suffocation and asphyxiation and reducing the blood flow to somebody's head. There is a wide variety of this type of play that can be dangerous. Suspension. I do not have the rope experience to tie somebody in because of circulation, nerves, and whatnot. Yeah. I wouldn't feel comfortable hanging from the seat just because of my lack of experience. It's not something I feel knowledgeable about, so I don't do. Right. If you're somebody who is passionate about it and wants to pursue it and wants to do the research and read the books and watch the videos, there's a lot of information out there on how to do these things correctly. Yeah, and then I know that I have quite a few friends that are into knifing mm-hmm. where they actually cut in needles. Suspension. There's a wide variety yeah. of stuff out there. And as long as it's sanitary and done right with knowledgeable people and can be supported correctly, yeah. that's one thing. But approaching something without the knowledge or know how to do it safely is... Right. And you talked about protecting yourself or, or others. Not only is your partner possibly in jeopardy, but if you hurt your partner, you yourself can be put in a dangerous situation. I have a rule of thumb. I try not to leave marks, especially in visible places. With my partner, the only places I ever have a tendency of leaving marks is on the ass and on the inside of the thigh. Mm -hmm. These are two places that aren't seen by most people because realistically, you don't want somebody seeing bruises, jumping to the wrong conclusion, right. and possibly reporting your ass for some shit that they know nothing about. <laughs> I actually have a friend right now that is into, like, hardcore, mm-hmm. and so has bruising quite a bit and had to go into the doctor and it was an immediate conversation because they're like are you safe are you okay and it was something that they had to explain and are even nervous to go back because they're mandatory reporters Mm -hmm. so it's a hard you gotta trust that doctor man you gotta have that communication up front yeah i was gonna say the communication you you have people's family members friends co-workers a lot of people that they're gonna see these kind of marks i was involved in a very intense scene at sanctuary with a partner of mine and she was refusing to give any sort of acknowledgement of response in any way. At this point in time, she was being very defiant and wanting to stand her ground during the impact scene. Um, Are you saying bratty maybe? Uh, a little, yes. So, <laughs> I know that well. <laughs> I put down the flogger, went from the crop to the cane, sorry, and there was still very little response and we, we worked up in pressure and intensity and there was a, a rather intense scene that lasted probably 20 minutes Ooh, there, there in Sanctuary. After, wow. Afterwards, she admitted that she was being very stubborn and wanted to tap out several times, but chose not to. That experience was a memorable and itself. However, mm. two days later, when she was trying to get in the shower and her son walked in on her very 
very purple behind. Oh. And she tried to jump in the shower to hide it and slipped and fell. Oh, no. And had to go to the doctor for falling in the shower. Oh, no. And then this big purple booty. So it was one of those. You have to be aware of what you're doing and what marks you're leaving and how this is going to be perceived. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know that one of the scenes that I had done recently with one of my dearest friends, we bruised the inside of her, you know, with paddles and wooden spoons because there was, we topped her, the two of us, and she sent the pictures and she would tell us how wonderful it was. And the bruises are great for their memory and having the markers of what you had gone through and she still relived it. Oh yeah. So that there is such a sweet reminder of the tenderness of a bruised or welted behind. Sit down on that tenderness and that constant reminder of the night before. I have gotten more <laughs> texts the day after about the sensations of sitting on ropes than I care to admit. <laughs> you care to admit that you have it for everyone, you liar. Okay. Do, you, do you smile like this the day after? Because I see this smile. Yes, me too. I tell you, I was smiling when I got her pictures. I, I understand the, the, the need to leave your mark or the want to leave those kind of sensations that are going to last. Mementos. But to do it in a safe way and a way right. that not only are you protecting your partner's physical health, but also any unwanted questions right. from people that may not need to know what you guys are involved in. For sure. Because yeah. privacy is very important to some people. Not everybody wants to know that they're into BDSM. Yeah, that's another, like another area that I know I wanted to add it to, because you mentioned the butt and the inner thigh. Breasts are very common to leave, well, as long as you don't wear, like, open shirts or whatnot. I know quite a few of my friends like their breasts bruised. Mark, yeah. Mm -hmm. and this kind of leads into the next question about maintaining confidentiality and what steps do you take to ensure your participants' privacy and anonymity? It is a very private lifestyle. Mm -hmm. There are a few websites and whatnot that people do share openly, uh, but this is a kind of behind the closed door thing. Unless you're at an events that are specialized about BDSM, it's not something that you, fast you, and you see a lot of nights. or talk about a lot of in public. Yeah. Realistically, sharing video or pictures, any of that stuff. You have to be real careful because you don't want to put somebody else in those situations. Yeah. Communication, it, it all comes back to that. You know, if your partners are okay with what you would like to do, then you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. I know a lot of the places like the house parties I go to and then the, the clubs, there are generally no recordings allowed, mm -hmm. even in the house parties. The only time that I've ever seen a recording done in a house party was pre-negotiated with everybody. This yeah. is being recorded for And something. everybody would yeah. have to have consent to even yeah. be in... I actually had a very negative experience with another local dom about an, an event that had happened at Sanctuary. Mm. Uh, me and a partner were back in the dungeon portion. She was on the cross and I was flogging her and I had a partner videotape us. I posted this video on FetLife. It is me and her in the video. That is it. But you can hear the murmur of the crowd in the background. Okay. You couldn't identify anybody. You couldn't hear anybody talk. You couldn't hear a specific word. But I was told I didn't have consent to play a video with all those people in the background. Interesting. And I was asked to take the video down. Okay. Interesting. Even though we were the only two people visible in the video, none of those other people had given consent for me to air this video on another site with them in it. Do you agree with that on some level? Like, I took it down okay. and I put it back up without volume. And I was told that I was trying to skirt the rules and I needed to take it down anyway. Okay. Interesting. I see. I don't agree with that. I, I worked in the newspaper industry and you could take pictures of people in public without their consent, but they're in public. 
And you're talking a public bar. This is not the sanctuary of the club. But it's public. You pay a fee to yeah. go into it, and you if you're not wanting to be there, you can leave. It's not like you're being forced. It's not a house mm-hmm. party. So being in a public venue, it's you're automatically giving consent. So people do have the right to record right. in yeah. public and do the yeah. things. Like I, having, I think it's yeah. just the stigma of oh, I agree. it being BDSM mm-hmm. and a more private thing, and it's not us going to the mall right. and doing and walking shopping down or right. walking down and we're recording. This is something that is a very intimate thing, and Correct. again, we talk about the impact that it can have. If somebody recognized a voice or whatever, it could be a big deal. So I do understand what he's saying. I don't think that you taking the sound off is skirting the rules. I I don't think that is a fair compromise on your part. But I I, I think that how that you having to take it down all the way. I I think because I was asked to take it down and my response to taking it down was to take it down, remove the sound and put it back up. Yeah, I is where I think his thing was. But like I said, it, it, it was a negative experience. I learned from it. Yeah. I had been asked by one of the hosts of the event to take it down. I like that. I had to learn because they don't tell us all the rules. It's not like there's no handbook out there. This is the reason why we're doing episodes because there is nothing out there that says this is right, this is wrong. Some of it's a lot, a lot about common decency. Consideration. And consideration. That word right there is so underutilized in everything. Right. The consideration. It really falls down to somebody's want. Right. Because realistically, the partner that wants to be told she's a beautiful little girl or the partner that wants to be told that she's a dumb cunt and smacked are both getting the same thing out of your interaction. They're getting what they want out. Yeah. Everybody has their own needs. And no way, shape, or form would I ever kink shame somebody or yuck their yum. Yeah. What I was wanting to point out was that I sometimes have tripped over, like I walked into a scene and I'm like, oh my God, it's beautiful. Not realizing that it was a quiet scene because generally a lot of the scenes, they want you to be, all the spectators be quiet. But if you're at a house party, you don't know what you're walking into. So now I've learned to walk into scenes and go and walk out like smiling or watching with my mouth shut. <laughs> Just Breathe, Life, Relationship, and Intimacy Coaching. Are you struggling with trauma or relationship issues? Do you feel like you're stuck in patterns that are holding you back from living your best life? If so, it's time to take the next step towards healing and growth. Hi, my name is Jenna. I'm a life, relationship, and intimacy coach with over four years of experience helping individuals and couples overcome complex challenges related to intimacy, sexuality, and communication. I specialize in working with clients who have alternative relationships, clients that struggle with trauma, and teaching communication skills. Together, we can create a safe and supportive space for healing and growth and help you build the skills and tools you need to move forward with greater resilience and self-compassion. As a relationship coach, I also provide practical tools and communication strategies that can help you strengthen your connection and build a deeper, more fulfilling relationship. Whether you're struggling with conflict, feeling disconnected, or simply looking to deeper your connection with your partners. I'm here to help. I believe everyone deserves to have happy, healthy, fulfilling relationships and a satisfying sex life. And I'm committed to helping my clients achieve those goals. If you're ready to take the next step towards greater intimacy, connection, and pleasure, I invite you to schedule a consultation with me today. You can do this by visiting my website at justbreathewithjenna.com. I offer a free 30-minute intro session. Help is only a click away. Let me help you find the answers that are right for you.
yeah. hard for me. You're so funny. <laughs> but because that's the rules, and but it's unwritten. Not everybody goes in and says, hey, it's a quiet scene. You got to be quiet. Well, you know? but it's also but about their anonymity and their yeah. privacy and their consent well, as well. And, and you've had that experience right. where you actually did go into the room and they're like, so you need to go because you don't have consent to be here. And you've never dealt with that. And it was like, oh, shit. Like, here's another level of things that I need to learn. Where I've never, like, I've never, right? right. So I don't have that. But I already, because of the community we have, the, right. the Facebook groups that we had for so long that were so informative, I think we had a lot of conversation around that stuff. So I just had that base. But you come to it one way or another. As long yeah, as you, and you learn from it and you respect. And, and you respect. It. Yeah. So learning right. from the gentleman when he said, okay, okay, got it. Or learning from somebody about consent for the longest time, touching somebody just to touch their hand in this community, you need consent. Uh, big time. Like, I'm, I'm not going to touch you without saying, hey, can I touch you? Uh, is it okay if I touch you? And then making sure I don't make contact until they say yes. At least when I sit and negotiate a scene, I always list off, okay, where's my no-goes? That's one of my things. Negotiating questions. a scene in advance is one of the only ways to make sure it goes off without a hit. To go into something like that blind without any sort of communication, setting yourself up for failure. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody is going to feel they didn't get what they wanted out of the situation. They're going to feel used or... Yeah. There's a lot of a, a wide variety of negative feelings that can come consequences yeah even as a dom feeling bad about what you've done to somebody even if it's what they wanted in the process it's hard not to feel bad about hitting a female especially when you're somebody who would raise your entire life never to hit a girl right so there's definitely like an inner conflict that both the sub and the dom have to verbally or mentally gymnastic the way through to be okay with the situation and without communication and knowing that you're doing what the other person wants, you're definitely going to blind. Yeah. I had a scene just recently, just this week. I had met this person at a bathhouse. It was by night and they had a flogger and their comment to me was, I've never been on the receiving end of one of my floggers. He built this flogger and I said, I'll, t- I'll do it. And that was as far as our negotiations went because by the way the conversation came out, it was this natural thing of just saying, I'm assuming you know what you're talking about. Of I've never been on the receiving end of one of my floggers. And I was like, oh, okay. So we had a scene together. And at the end of it, I found out that he's never been a bottom. And I felt bad because I should have negotiated where my no-goes were. I assumed the flogging was how he would tell me. Assumptions that yeah. you in trouble. Really and bad. I really did feel bad. Like you were saying, holy crap, I didn't negotiate anything with him. We did recap afterwards. I sat there and we talked and I didn't leave him high and dry. I'm like, oh, so you didn't negotiate. You didn't tell me nothing, nothing. I actually sat and we talked and I feel, I feel better. I didn't feel like I violated any of his things. Good. Thank God. I was like, all these shame things came around. I'm like, what did I do? Oh, I'm better than this. That all came flooding in. And then we talked out of it, both of us. So that also is that line I was talking about earlier right. about the in public versus the more intimate play. When he had asked you or said that he had never been flogged, and if you kept it within just a slight impact with his blog or whatnot, I feel you pretty much fulfilled your end of the right. verbal agreement at that point in time. It's going outside of that agreement that is right. where you, the consent and everything else, the communication uh, is super important because if all they've asked you for is a flogging and you start touching in areas that are no-goes or areas that they're not comfortable with you touching, there is a big difference between that 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a pertaining to that. Yeah. And I think that leads into this next question, which is, have you encountered a participant who wanted to explore something that made you uncomfortable or went against your personal boundaries? And if so, how did you handle that? Yes. Very much yes. Okay. Uh, I grew up as a single child with a single mom, and I have a brother because she was raped. Okay. At yeah. four years old, somebody broke into our apartment, raped her on the floor. She carried the kid to term. He gave him up for adoption. I know my brother. But about six or seven years ago, I was dating this girl, and she had some serious CNC fantasies. Can you say what CNC is, yes. please? Consensual non-consent. And what she, does that look like? She had great fantasies. She okay. wanted me to quote, pretend to break in and have my way with her, throw around, actually go through the steps of physically raping her. Yes. And it was so hard for me to even wrap my head around what she was asking me. It, it was never something I didn't even consider or thought about. And yeah. it was immediately, in many ways, there were other aspects of our relationship what she considered free use. Her consensual non-consent was anytime I wanted it, I could have it. I didn't even know I have to ask type thing. Which I, having that kind of relationship and those kind of agreements is one thing, but the actual acting out the rape fantasy, I immediately, I couldn't even get in the mindset of how to approach that. Yeah. It was something I really struggled with. I can see that. I have had some men in my life that have wanted to do that and I couldn't do it. I, I wasn't open to being even forced because that violates all of my work that I've been doing on myself and yeah. accepting and putting boundaries on me and then being that people pleaser. What I mean is, oh, yeah, okay, fine. That's what you want to do. Okay, I'll do it. And then not honoring myself. Yeah. Because I didn't want to do it. Finding your own comfort level and those things that you are okay with those things that you're not comfortable doing. It's important in knowing your own worth and what you are willing to do. Because you don't want to jeopardize your own personal well-being to fulfill somebody else's needs. You, you can't really sacrifice what makes you happy to... Your mental, emotional, and physical health. You can't. You should, yeah. Right, right, right. You, you, you right. really need to maintain yours first. and make sure that you're taking care of yours as, yes. as well as pleasing your partner. And, I agree. Uh, that is super important. Okay. Uh, BDSM sessions often involve power dynamics and intense emotional experiences. How do you provide aftercare for your participants to ensure their emotional well-being post-session? And then how do you provide aftercare for yourself? There's nothing sexier than the power dynamic between two people, especially when the power shifts. When somebody gives that power to another partner. Because you don't have that ability. A dom isn't a dom without a submissive. He's just an asshole yelling at somebody. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it takes somebody to be submissive. It takes somebody to play that role. It really does. Somebody to give you that power over them, to put them in the situation. That is a power that is given to you. That is a gift. It is the greatest gift a sub can give. And realistically, it's important that people understand that. Yeah. So the aftercare, what do you offer specifically? Or is it unique to each person? That everybody deals with their aftercare or their mind or physical well-being afterwards in a different way. Everything from sitting on your dom's lap to communicating about your likes or dislikes to the scene to a glass of water and holding your hand. There's a wide way to connect with your sub or your dom after the scene to make sure that everybody's okay and everybody got what they wanted out of it. Whether it be an emotional connection or a physical connection, a lot of times it's just that little something afterwards that makes your partner feel safe in the situation. I know in some of my friends' scenes, when they come out, it could be wrapping them up in a blanket, 
It could be putting them in front of a fan. It could be giving them sugar, like chocolates. In my kit, when I go to house parties, I carry chocolate. I carry hard candy. I generally don't carry a blanket, but if I'm going to a private play, I'll carry a blanket, a specific fuzzy blanket for people. But what is your aftercare? So far, it's just holding me or giving me my space. It depends on how the scene built. Mm -hmm. If it was between me and my lover, which is generally when I would become subby. Mm -hmm. After the orgasms, covering me up. I generally do get cold after having the scene build and build. A lot of energy to expend. Covering me up and then light touches to ground me back to earth. Because usually I don't transcend or go trance-like. But I go into my body so much that I don't, I can't hear things. Yeah. Or, or, I do have moments where my ears stop working. Yeah. And or a really good orgasm, like my eyes stop working. Like I cannot physically open my eyes. Right. So oh, I really get it. I agree there. I oh. do. You know, I love my hair brushed and I love like chest time. Like really? I just so want to be like brushing your hair, brushing my hair. And then I just want to lay on your chest and just hear the heartbeat oh. and just let me breathe and let me process. Kidding aside, we've talked about like attitude adjustments. Yeah. That was the question I was going to ask. Yay! You figured it out. Now, in BDSM, there was something, and I'm sorry, people, but this is how my brain works, and this is how we're doing this. So, some people consider BDSM an identity, and some consider it a lifestyle. What do you identify as? It's it's an identity. It's not a lifestyle. (sighs) Clearly, it's both, but which one would you say is more to you? Could you never do this again and be completely content? That is an unfair question. (laughs) Everybody does it in their own way. You have people who try and live it as a lifestyle 24 hours a day. Yeah. You have some people where it's behind closed doors. Yeah. Behind closed doors, this is the role I play. This is the role you play. Yeah. And then there are people that it's just when they can, when those times arise, when the opportunity to play and they have the partner. Cool. So... Everybody is going to approach this in a different way. Realistically, I feel that I am a dom in more aspects than one. I would say it is definitely part of me. I enjoy the lifestyle. I love the lifestyle. But it's definitely one of the things that when I can. Yeah. I, at this point in time, don't have a a consistent partner. So it's not as often as I would like to. But it's one of those things that you got to do what you can when you can to make yourself feel good. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I love that. As far as aftercare goes with your partners, the communication and making sure that you're giving them what it is they need is the most important part. And as far as myself goes, aftercare for me, I'm way analytic and I find myself trying to analyze the scene and talk about aspects of it with my partner, figuring out areas for growth, likes, dislikes. And in this analyzation, I think is how I tend to deal with my aftercare. Okay. Uh, replay it in my head a couple of times. Ask about anything that we might find concerning or yeah. off-putting. Whether it be a response or a, their physical response to it, body language, whatnot. Making sure that they were okay with everything that I did so I don't feel bad about all the fuck up <laughs> shit I do. Oh, oh, what what the services you provide. You said it wrong. <laughs> so then, Kevers, yes, all of the things. So in your opinion, then, what are the key qualities or skills that make a successful dominant and how do you continuously improve or evolve in your role? We obsess the communication thing. And yeah. if you think I've talked about it too much, no. you aren't talking about it enough <laughs> in your relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, being observant, being considerate, actually listening to your partner. These are all things 
that are super important. Being able to read the room, be able to read their body language. Yeah. Are they doing this because they want to do this? Are they doing this because you're asking them to? Yeah. Being able to see your partner's physical reaction to things, let alone their facial expressions. Learning to read your partner, the room, being considerate. There's a lot of things that come into play when it comes to being a solid dom. There's a lot of people that are going to pretend to be one, but if you're not taking into consideration what your partner needs out of the situation, you're not doing a very good job at it. Yeah. When I trained with the master, one of the things in our, I think the second session, the first session was talking about my boundaries and my hard lines and stuff so that he knew, he, so, so I can see how negotiations are done. Mm -hmm. Then the second session was talking, we talked about body language and he goes, even the little flex of the arm, the like movements, the way the body flows underneath the hand per se Mm -hmm. is important to read because Jenna said it many times that when you trance out, you would like it when your tops or your doms come back and check in. Yeah. Just bring me back up to the surface to check in. It's very caretaking for me and I feel safe and I have trust when that happens. Like I don't need it. I don't, I don't need it at all in the role of person connected sex, but it does make me feel a deeper connection when I am in so deep. And then it's, I hear this, I need connection. I need this. And it just, Puts me in further. Yeah. Yeah. And then making sure that they're responding still to you and that they haven't checked out. They haven't gone to people pleasing mode, which is what I did the first couple of times is I had gone, I'm doing this for them. I'm doing it for, it's not me. That was before I discovered my own subby. That was when I was in training. I did it for him. He beat on me to teach me. It wasn't until I found my subby moments and then I got, oh, okay. And I could see it. I could see when people aren't checked in and checked out. The after that. And then you got to also, with impact play, there's so many times where the dom is behind. And so there aren't facial cues. It, it can be a very, I got a collar around my neck and he's not paying attention. He can't see my face. Like right. I could die. You could die from that. You could irreparably hurt yourself. So it's so important to, I feel as the sub have somebody that you trust and they are looking for those signs. They are checking in. If there's a concerning moment, it's, Hey, where you at? Or whatever that terminology is, whatever that communication is, is so necessary. On top of the communication and the consideration and being able to read their body language, checking in with your partner constantly, whether it be on where they're at in the scene. Some people use colors, descriptions, red, green, yellow, or beige, blue, and purple. You know, there's a wide variety of them. You know, whether it be colors or numbers, there's a lot of ways to check in with your partner. Right. With new partners, I usually will use a number system also. If I'm trying out a toy they've never used, say, we'll see the horse with the crop there with the little flop, slap on the end of it. They've never used one. Okay, I'm going to try this out. We'll say about a four in intensity. You tell me if this is too hard or too soft. Where do we go from here? I feel okay. like that's what you did with me, was the numbers. Yep, we ran through numbers, and I introduced you with, to most of them at a very mild or medium intensity. Yeah, and the ones you enjoyed, we, we increased. And if it wasn't one I seemed to be getting a reaction out of, I'll move on and introduce you to another toy that you have interested in. And some of our first experiences, Spill the Beans, were definitely more 
tastings and letting you explore all those things and then providing an environment where you can try each of those things out in a comfortable environment. We're going to talk about it again. What are your thoughts on the importance of ongoing consent throughout a BDSM session? How do you check in with your participants during a session to ensure their continued consent? So All the time. All the time, all constant. The time. And I think we, we just talked about that largely yeah. just now. And even something as small as grabbing a fistful of hair and whispering in their ear, are you good? Yeah. It, it doesn't take a lot to check in with your partner. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. And we talked about this. If they have a ball gag in because of communication, that could be part of their scene. It's having hands or finger movements or yeah, some I mean, type of movements. Yeah, you move your finger up. Yeah. There are physical cues that you can mm-hmm. be responsible for and give. Yes, everybody has, or I should say everybody should have, some sort of signal that they can give their partner, whether yeah. it be a verbal or physical signal that this is not okay. People use the term safe word, which is important that right. you have something like that. And those situations where you can't talk, a, a physical signal is... Or even communication beforehand of if you don't get a physical reaction from me within 20, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. check in. Oh, yeah. Because I know you've experienced me go real deep mm-hmm. and I am not verbal and I am I don't feel like your ask is reaching your level of comfort. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely times where... I remember you bringing me back to the surface of, so you're going to tell me where you're at. I need to know. And it's not just you going, oh God, she's so fucking into it. I'm just going to keep going. It's like that. No, I do need to check in. I felt very safe that way. Being overly cautious at times is necessary. I had a partner who... She had a fetish. She liked four steep throats. I wish. <laughs> I, I still try. Uh, and at times she would give me the go. And I, I would try to be forceful and I would lean into it and really have your way. No, no restraint at all. And at first I was really leery and I didn't know like where my limit was, how long I could keep it down, or what, right. but how long we consider it. And there's breathing and, involved. Yes, yeah. so there, there's definitely a necessary yeah. for her to take her. And we, we definitely came up with a small signal, whether it would be she would grab my leg hair or, hey, dude, I need me for a second. But there was a, a grab or a grip or something that let me know that, hold on, I'm not okay at the moment. Can you give me a moment? So yeah. whether it be, like I said, another one of those situations where verbally you can't communicate, ha- having a way is to acknowledge that <laughs> you need a moment is important. Yeah, you are not wrong. I had a friend that was, he had a Sibian, and so the Sibian's that machine that women or male can ride to just stimulate the clit or the anus. He would take it to the sex club, and he would hook up, so all these women that he would put on it, because that's what he enjoyed getting off on, and I loved that part about him, watching women have these orgasms and controlling them because there's a remote control on it. Yeah. So changing the pace and watching and being able to bring them to a height. makes them go pass out? That's the thing. The first time he did it, he made three women pass out. <laughs> then you're getting a much better experience on that thing than I have ever Me too. I am like, like so I don't get it. I don't either. I did do it once and it I had an orgasm, but it wasn't as good as everybody I mean, passing out. Own, passing out, right? To each their own. So he in this, this is what I was gonna say, he introduced in his own play for safety of the women a ball. So they had to be in the scene holding a ball. When the ball left the hand, the scene ended. So yeah. that would just head off the passing. I had an experience with a partner that actually taught me breath play yeah. and how that was worked the whole process. And this was not you, actually, although you do a very beautiful definition and description when you are doing that to this participant. 
but the way that they explained how they press, why they press where they are, why it's important that they do the things that they do. And then the way that he would monitor me was I had to have my arm up. And as long as I could keep my arm up, he could press down. But the minute I started to lilt, he'd let me hit and then he'd let go and have me come back. So that was my sign. And it was actually really really cool for me I really appreciated it because it just became that sensation of I also had participation in it I also was very like I'm feeling like present and here and so oh god it was like the best feeling ever when my arms started to fall because I knew I was just like on the edge of passing out and then to have that air of immediate orgasm because I'm so full force and all of a sudden back into my body but yeah, those are the conversations that you have. This is the information and the learning that the you trust. impart and the trust and all this stuff. So Because what if you didn't stop? There's yeah, the, you could kill them. Yeah. You literally there's, a lot of, right. there's a lot of danger in BDSM inherently if it is not performed correctly. Right. Consent and communication and check-ins and all these things that we're talking about right. are not part of what you're doing. You're doing it wrong. You need to have these conversations. You need to feel that you're safe and that you have trust in this I mean, that's why it's so hard for me to lose a dom in my life as a partner because it takes years to build up that trust and to just have those understandings and those conversations and get into that groove. Yeah. And then it's just such a deficit when it goes away. Yeah, like the loss like that we were talking about uh, last season, there was that lot that we had that shift and I lost that play partner. I always thought in the yeah, back of my mind, yeah. I wouldn't be able to. It, it was a loss. It was a, a mourning that I couldn't find anybody else that would be able to hit me the way that did. It's so much. It's yeah. such a different relationship and so uniquely intimate and vulnerable. Right. And again, so different than just a sexual attachment for right. me. Like it's such a different thing. So yeah, it's just, it's like a death of you. And then it's, it's so scary to go, I'll put myself out there again. Right. I'll try this again. Great. Right. <laughs> to have somebody to explore those parts of yourself with is a very valuable thing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And when you've expressed and exposed those parts of you to somebody and let somebody view the most intimate parts of yourself, yeah, it's hard to build those connections with other people when they're terminated. I think so much of it is shame-based, too, and you have to process and work through. Sarah and I have had this conversation before where... I feel like there's no available study because it's just too broad. You can't do it. You can't get enough participants and there's not that stuff. But I, being a sex coach and working with clients and working through my own stuff, have found BDSM so massively healing around traumas. Mm -hmm. Traumas never go away. They're never going away. They are like a heartbeat, right? And your life is normal and then it's a trauma and then it's a trauma. And so what you can do is heal around those traumas and make them smaller and just grow around them. But for me, it's I had shame wanting to have somebody spit in my mouth. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I had shame in wanting to be beaten and having these marks on my body. I was terribly abused as a child. It's what happened to me. I was embarrassed to have asked for somebody to slap me in my face. But as that communication was out there, as I admitted all this stuff, I'm growing around my trauma and I'm showing up for myself. And then so these things are like, okay, this happened. How do you feel about it? I'll be honest with you. A little overhearing. The very first time I ever had a girl ask me, I would slap her. I did. I mean, it, it took a little bit to work up to but I remember the next day going up, going over and sitting at my mom's kitchen table. Oof, oof. 
And I looked at my mom and I was like, mom, you did it. this girl asked me to hit her. And she looks at me and she goes, what do you mean? I was like, well, she asked me to smack her. She's like, face? Yeah. My mom just stared at me. Like, I didn't know what I was really doing at that point in time. It was very early on in my Dom experiences. But I had known being raised my whole life never to hit a girl. Not to raise my hand in anger. In my head, I had justified it. It was not in anger. He'd asked me to do it. But at this point in time, I was like reaching out to my mom for justification. But what I'd done was okay. Of all people, my mom. Of all people, your mother. Me and my mom have a very open relationship. Clearly. I talk to, talk to her about just about everything Clearly. throughout my spent youth. But, like, she looked at me and just, what did you do? Of course I did, but I, I had to tell her that I did. Um. <laughs> so how did you, did you have shame around your ability to be able to do that to her? Like, did I, I, you I didn't have, have that shame on moment? what I had done. I, I think I was looking for some confirmation that because it had been asked for, it was consensual, it was what they needed or wanted in the moment. I was fulfilling my end of the bargain or deal. Yeah. So I hadn't done something wrong. So this day, I can say I've never raised a hand in anger to a woman. Oh, I've smacked the shit out of a couple of them. <laughs> Oh my God. And on that, that same note, I have this thing where I don't want anybody to touch my face. Like, yeah. there's no yeah. touching my face. Prior to BDSM, I was smacked giving a blowjob one time. The guy was like, too much. And I'm like, instead of just communicating, he smacked me. And so now I have that association of, no. uh, I did wrong. So then somebody did smack me in a scene once. I didn't tell him it was like no go or whatever. I wanted to see what it felt like when I was in a, a good space. And it was okay, but I never got what some people get out of it. To me, it was like, it didn't feel as bad as when I was being shamed or told what to do. But I'm not into it. I've only ever had a couple partners ever asked to be smacked in the face. Impact play is a very wide verse of styles or items or places to be hit. The term is used very loosely. I have been to classes on body blows and heavy flogging and everything, even as punching which is one that I've never really understand. To each their own, the toys I have spread out here in front of us are things that I found that I enjoy using. Everybody has their what fits them or their play style. Okay, so we are down to the last two questions. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. You You interview like a dream. So all of our people are going to get a lot of information I'm really happy about. Last two questions. What steps do you take to create a welcoming and inclusive environment for participants from diverse backgrounds, orientations, or gender identity? The the great thing about BDSM is it is so inclusive. It doesn't matter if you're straight or queer or bisexual or trans. There is an open, loving community for all. Yeah. Uh, It's such a non-binary environment for the most part correctly. Okay, BSM outside of the bedroom. Yes. Let me phrase that. You know, inside the bedroom is a whole another story for each of us. Me, I can honestly say my experiences are very limited because of my sexuality. Yeah. I'm very heterosexual, so my interactions with other sexualities is limited. I am comfortable in a situation with naked bodies, being around other naked guys, whatnot doesn't bother me in any way, shape, or form. This has never done anything for me. So my experience is barely one-sided. Yeah. But there is a home for everybody. And the leather community 
is strong everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Explain the leather community because we've talked about it a little bit on previous episodes. I think the leather community goes back to the retro 70s, San Francisco. Uh, leather vest and the- cap and the whole almost biker look uh, whatnot. But in, in my opinion, anybody who likes to or enjoys impact play or BDSM bonded usually has some form of leather, whether it be their toys their restraints, their outfits. There's usually a little bit of leather involved. <laughs> Just a little. Just a little? Just a little. All right. Okay, thank you for doing Last question. Can you share a testimonial or success story from one of your participants that highlights the positive impact you've had on their lives through your work as a dominant? Letting somebody know that there is a safe way to explore these things is super important. To know that you can explore it in a safe way, that you can find somebody that you can communicate with, to show that that is an option mm-hmm. is something that a lot of people don't even know. Yeah. I personally have helped partners explore stage fright being in front of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Group experiences in themselves can help eliminate some of that shyness, but there's a lot of ways to overcome things that you're uncomfortable with in BDSM. So we're going to wrap this up. We also have, I'm just going to say it. We also have a video that we're going to do for our Patreon subscribers where Mitch is going to actually perform some services and we're going to be the models. So if you guys are interested, please go to our Orgasmic Tourist um, Patreon and sign up and subscribe and you will get to see that very special footage. And the ones that are on Patreon, thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for showing up. We love you guys and we appreciate you so much. We appreciate all of our listeners, actually. Thank you so much for the wonderful interview. The things that you have to say were so inspiring and insightful. And I think it's really important. You know, again, not a lot of people have this access or there's going to be something that's going to stop them if they've never had experience. You're culturally raised how you are culturally raised and coming into these identities or or thoughts and feelings can be, we've talked about shame, very shameful. And to show people that doms have this level of care, concern, consideration, and wants and needs, desires to fulfill your needs in a healthy, safe way is just so important. And I think some of our listeners have never had that ability to figure that out or even have this kind of conversation. The one thing I'm very thankful for is the local community. Yeah. Between online and the clubs and events that are just here local, there were such amazing resources at my fingertips. There's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of websites that you can steer people to. And should. Having a community that's willing to answer questions and be there and show you the right and wrong way to do things is super important. If you're somebody who's interested, to reach out to those people that you see that are involved. Yeah. And there is no right or wrong way. There is group consensus and you're going to find some version of the truth that works for you. Yeah. And that, that's important that you find what it is that works for you. Yeah, I agree. I know locally here through FetLife and some of these websites, you can find what are called munches. Mm-hmm. And you can find tastings, which are all diff- different forms of being exposed to different aspects of Munches um, the are usually just a group meeting up at a restaurant or a bar right. where they conversate and talk about topics. Your tastings is it more like a play party or a right. one-on-one where it's more of an introduction to different types of play or right. different toys. Letting somebody see if it's something that they're even interested in. Kind of a bondage 101. Yes, exactly. Yes, I exactly. think we provided the dominant 101 today for yes. all of our listeners. So 
Again, you guys, thank you so much. Please find us on all of our avenues, which is orgasmicterrorist.com. That's how you get to our Facebook page is the best way to do it is go through our website. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean currently. Patreon and Discord as well. Patreon is where you're finding our videos, and Discord is where we're going to start having discussions. Yeah, and then we also have our email, which is orgasmicterrorist at gmail.com. Please write in, please, if you have any questions for Mitch or if you have any questions for us, we would love to bring that back and, and have that. Episode 13 is going to be all about questions and answers mm-hmm. from you. From the listeners. So, again, thank you so much. I really no, appreciate it. It was a pleasure. You. Thank, thank you, you all thank for having you. me here. So thank I you. hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. So, Sarah, what do we say? Uh, on that note, go be good humans. Go be good humans, guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. You can listen to us on Spotify and iTunes and, of course, on our website at orgasmictourist.com. Please don't forget to help us out by sharing our podcast and leaving a five-star review. As always, you can send us an email with your questions and comments to orgasmictourist at gmail.com.